Thanks for listening to The Gist. If you want to check out an ad-free version and bonus content, go to subscribe.mikepesca.com. It is the best way to directly support our endeavors. Hi, it's Mike Pesca. Mike Pesca, host of The Gist, this podcast. Okay, now that we got that cleared up, what about the day of the week? It's Saturday, which leads us to inevitably conclude that this show is the Saturday show where we bring you one of the best from the week and one of the best from the vault. This week, I talked about the common argument that Joe Biden has lost it and is being operated by a puppet. Go, let them make that argument. It augurs well for Joe Biden's ability to keep doing the same level of presidenting he has been doing, which I posit is, you know, at least slightly above average. Those making the argument will disagree, but as the nice quality of being able to undo the argument, petard hoisted by in the index of argumentation. So that was a that was a spiel I did this week. That was one of the best of the week. One of the best of all time. Goes back to 2018. I talked to Amanda Holt. Amanda Holt pretty much spurred Pennsylvania to redraw its legislative districts in 2013. There was an ongoing court battle then about the best ways to do it. I was beginning to suspect that the elected officials in Pennsylvania and in other states don't even want the best way. They just want the way that most helps their side. And this comes up because the Supreme Court decided that Alabama was doing it wrong, was diluting the voting impact of its black citizens and the Supreme Court did not allow that. So let us go back to an historic interview about another state answering the question, is there really a good way to draw a congressional map? There is. Many of them. Amanda Halt brings them to you. Hey, all you true crime fans, this is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morphin. And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. In 2016, when Pennsylvanians went to the polls to vote for their congressman or woman, most of them voted for a Democrat. It wasn't most by a lot. It was 51%. But you know what? I know math. That means most. And yet, of the 18 members of Congress that Pennsylvania sent to the U.S. Capitol, it wasn't nine and nine. What is it even eight and six? Five were Democrats. 13 were Republicans. How could this be? I'll tell you how. This is exactly how it was supposed to be by the people who drew the maps. This is why Pennsylvania has come in for criticism and, in fact, for a court-ordered ungerrymandering. So who shall ungerrymander the gerrymandered? I have a suggestion. Amanda Holt. She is a piano teacher from Upper McCungie, Pennsylvania, and she did it last time. She redrew maps that all the experts said, wow, this is a lot better than what we came up with. Hello, Amanda. How are you? Good. How about you? I'm good. So 2012 was your first foray into the uh, map-making game. What prompted you to get into it, and why'd you think, oh, I could solve this problem? 
Well, at the beginning, I was just kind of looking at my legislative districts and thinking they looked a little odd, and looking across the state, they all looked kind of odd. And so it got me asking why they had to be like this, which launched me on to my redistricting adventure. I love it. So what did they look like? Sometimes they're described as, you know, goofy, kicking Donald Duck or the inverted platypus. How would you describe what some of these districts look like in Pennsylvania? Well, for me, it wasn't so much their shapes, but the fact that different municipalities I was noticing were all split up in odd ways, and that just was really puzzling to me. Like, for instance, our congressional district, the entire county was within one congressional district except this little tiny piece in Upper Mukunjee, and that was separated off and put with a different district that was based in another county altogether, and it just made no sense whatsoever why you'd have to do something like that. Now, did you come in, into this mostly motivated by partisanship, by good governance, by a love of cartography? You know, what was your, just maybe you have a sense of order and you didn't like how the maps uh, didn't appeal to your logic. What was your, what, what was your orientation in 2012 when you tried a redrawing of the maps? For me, it was just about sticking with the Constitution. And what I was seeing wasn't sticking with our Constitution. I'm a big believer in upholding the law and following the rule of law and to see that ignored from my perspective in the process I thought was appalling and needed to be changed. Okay, so what was your method? Did you train yourself? Did you, uh, you know, look up some Wikipedia articles about how to do this? Did you bust out a compass and protractor? What you do? Well, there is no how-to guide on redistricting or certainly wasn't back in um, 2010 when I started on this whole thing. So it was a lot of looking up what I could find on the internet and reading case laws about this and just really teaching myself about how the redistricting process worked and all the rules that affect how lines are drawn and placed on a map, and then testing those out by drawing my own maps to see if we could come up with something that made a whole lot more sense and stick with all the rules. In your spare time, in between taking on piano clients. Exactly. Okay. And uh, what were some weird rules that you encountered that maybe you didn't realize going in you'd have to take into account? Well, most of the rules are pretty common sense. I mean, there's some interesting rules regarding the treatment of minorities you got to be careful about, but otherwise they're really simple rules. I mean, you want districts that are roughly equal in population, and you want to make sure you're keeping your municipalities whole. I mean, that really comes down to those two essential rules. So it wasn't quite as complicated in the end as I thought it might be. Had the state been keeping their municipalities whole? It sounds like that one dot in Upper Mukunji wasn't. No, they certainly hadn't been. There were a ton of splits when they had done this in 2001, and that's the maps I was looking at. So I was thinking that as they were going to draw their maps in 2010, they'd be interesting in seeing how they could make them more constitutional. Right. So you're putting your maps out there in the world how? Mostly online? At the time, no. At the time, I wasn't online yet. I was getting ready to go to a public hearing and just share the information there. So these are these meetings that are open to the public, but I would guess they wouldn't expect, they might expect someone to come and make a statement and, you know, complain, why am I not in this district? Did they not expect someone to come with a full-scale redrawing of the state? I would say from the response, no. And I think I was the only one there that did come and present a map. But in my ignorance, I had assumed everyone would be bringing in a map and <laughs> showing them what they possibly should be doing. So I hadn't realized at that moment that I was doing anything unusual. 
That is, by the way, the mark of people who change the world don't realize that not everyone else is doing it. For, when they start off, they look around and they say things like, wait a minute, we're all not trying to get unmanned flights to outer space? So I just want you to know that. So when you presented these maps last time, you began to get some attention, I guess just because of the quality of the maps. How did, how did that happen and what was the effect? So the attention really didn't come until after the court decision came down. So I made all these presentations and showed the information and had been continually ignored. And so when that happens, your only recourse is to appeal directly to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court to see if they will make them listen. The Public Interest Law Center represented me back in 2012, and that was just on the state districts. More recently, there has been a case brought forward which the Public Interest Law Center also has been involved in, which was a congressional case on the federal districts we have for our congressional districts. And that's the case that was more recently just decided that has brought this issue back into the limelight again. So when you were working back in 2010 and 2012 and there was a decision in 2013, did it have any effect on the state legislative maps? Yes, it did. So the state legislative maps the ones they had initially drawn had to be redrawn again. So the ones they initially drew, I would say, adversely affected over 9 million of the 12 million residents of Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And the ones they came back with maybe affected over 7 million of the population adversely. So maybe 2 million people were spared, if you will, from adversely being impacted through these excessive splits. Are those the legislative districts that are currently in place in Pennsylvania? Yes, the ones that they ended up with are the ones that we use for our state Senate and state House districts, yes. Did they take any of your input in drawing those maps? I didn't think they took a whole lot. Okay, so that's the state maps. Those are in place. Mm -hmm. And now we come up to the congressional maps, what I was talking about, people voting Mm -hmm. for their member of Congress. And there was a case that wound its way through the courts. And just a couple weeks ago, the Supreme Court uh, refused to hear an appeal. So Pennsylvania has to redo their maps. And so now are people coming to you knowing that you have some expertise in this area? Well, I've certainly been reaching out to people, sharing my thoughts on the subject, hoping that they will take this opportunity to draw maps that don't split any municipality, for instance, in the state. There's no reason we would have to split any municipality other than Philadelphia, of course, which is larger than a congressional district. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how much – I just want to ask about – the party advantage, because actually most of my questions have been premised on it. First of all, I mean, I read in one account uh, that you were at one point a Republican committee woman. Is that right? That's correct. Um, Do you still identify with one party over another? I do. And is it the Republican Party? Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. What about the partisan breakdown of maps? Uh, It seems to me that your major motivation is keeping municipalities intact and just having the most logical map where townships are together, for instance. Whereas nationally, I think a lot of the impetus is to create a map that's less partisan, less nakedly partisan. So how do you, uh, how do you bake the partisanship or lack of partisanship into what you do? Yeah, my focus is more, I think it's more important we have a map that's created on neutral principles than trying to have a map that may be politically fair, if you will, under some interpretations. Those are the kind of two choices you have to make. And I think it's more important to have that neutral map in there. So the political considerations aren't something that come into play for me when I'm 
creating a map. These municipalities that form the building blocks of the districts and were intended to be how people maintained a strong representative voice in their government. And so preserving those preserves their strong representative voice. And voters are free thinkers who are free to choose one party, one election, and a different party, a different election, or even in the same election, vote for one office one way and a different office a different way. And so in my mind, the focus really needs to be centered on keeping those neutral principles at the forefront of the map. So I see a lot of chatter about this or a lot of enthusiasm about this on the Democratic side, on liberal podcasts. Oh, finally, the Republicans are getting their comeuppance when it comes to the gerrymandered state of Pennsylvania. But diving deeper, it doesn't seem that that might be going on, but there are other issues, right? I mean, there are issues of, since most of the Democrats are are geographically concentrated in these cities, it might be hard to create a map that will send nine uh, representatives to Congress who are Democrats if indeed 51% of the vote of Pennsylvania goes Democrat. Um, there's just geographic and, you know, where people live uh, considerations, right? Oh, there certainly are. If you look probably at the voting population and you would take out, let's say, the city of Philadelphia and the city of Pittsburgh and you look at try to look at what the voter stats are, I'm sure it would be different than once they're included in. And you have to remember that Pennsylvania in its recent elections, in the same election as a statewide entity, has elected candidates of different parties. So Pennsylvania is a full of a lot of free, free thinkers here who like to vote for the person, I think, more than the party sometimes. I know that your main interest is drawing a good map for Pennsylvania, but is there a good process or method that you would endorse of the way the states do it? I think that more significant than who's drawing the maps is having measurable standards by which any map drawler can be held accountable. All right. And my last question is, do you envy Montana and Alaska? (laughs) Some days. Some days, you know, you have it simple when you're small sometimes. Yes, when you have one at-large representative. Yes. Well, Amanda Holt is uh, an amateur cartographer, but so much more than that. In fact, I can tell you that she was the uh, Pennsylvania Citizen Activist of the Year in 2012 for all her map-making daring do. Her accomplishments are being revisited now that Pennsylvania is under the deadline to get some good maps in place for their election. Thank you so much, Amanda. You're welcome. And now the spiel. Joe Biden has been the inspiration for more videos of people falling down than the entire 384-year run of America's Funniest Home Videos. Joe Biden takes on more physical challenges than the combined contestant core of Double Dare, Super Sloppy Double Dare, Family Double Dare, and Double Dare 2000. The speech of the president is more bedeviled by syntax than a -a three-pack-a-day smoker. And still, he somehow delivered on the debt ceiling ushered in the Infrastructure Act, signed into law the Inflation Reduction Act, and, really important, secured nation-saving funding and support for Ukraine while holding together the Western coalition and staving off the isolation instinct in America. But then he goes and says, not for the first time, or second or third, 
that his son died fighting in Iraq when his son Bo Biden did not die fighting in Iraq. Just imagine, I mean it sincerely, I say this as a father of a man who won the Broad Star, the Conspicuous Service Medal, and lost his life in Iraq. Curious, right? Well, I have a strategy for those who recognize that the Biden presidency has had some genuine accomplishments while the Biden persona has taken a hit, and the Biden person has, to be fair, lost a few miles from the old Scranton slider. And yet, the criticism of Joe Biden among many Republicans has been absolutely unrestrained by taste, kindness, or fact. Within the Republican firmament, this question is often asked. Do you think Joe Biden is actually running this? I mean, we've talked before about (laughs) his capacity. You're a doctor. Uh, Do you think he's in charge or somebody else? That's Maria Bartiromo on Fox asked and answered. I don't think he has any real control over what's going on right now. I think that he's just being told what to do. I honestly do. That is Representative Ronnie Jackson. And his isn't a unique sentiment. They allege that Joe Biden is not making his own decisions or that he is the tool of some unseen force, usually the far left, if the concern is being voiced by someone on the far right. But it's not only extremists with a megaphone saying so. Dave Weigel of Semaphore chronicled this. What we're talking about when we talk about Biden's age was the recent column. Quote, criticism of Biden on the right dating back to 2020. That's important. Remember that. Usually portrays him as not running things. It's politically convenient. Sure, Biden might code is centrist on the surface, the argument goes, but it's the young AOC fans on his staff who are passing giant stimulus bills that drive up inflation or appointing progressives to run the government. For the record, AOC voted against Biden's infrastructure bill and the debt ceiling deal. I guess they would say, oh, that's all just convenient cover. But my purpose here is not to contrast Biden's accomplishments with his poor communication or declining communication style or his ambulatory ability. My purpose is not to say, no, 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 there's nothing to be seen there. My point is in no way a rebuttal to the idea that Biden has experienced some cognitive decline. If you want to have some credibility, you got to admit that. But if certain figures on the right want to worry that Biden's a puppet or that Biden's a meat suit being operated by a Svengali or that zombie Biden is being controlled by some offstage guru already right now, good. Let him say that. Then we know what we're getting. Team Biden, whoever they all are, is doing a fine, fine job. Republican presidential candidate and techish outsider with impressive patter, Vivek Ramaswamy, aka Andrew Harang. I don't know. I'm trying to do a riff on Andrew Yang. I hope it works. So roll with me here. Anyway, aka Andrew Harang was asked by, huh, look at that, Maria Bartiromo, if it's really Joe Biden we're seeing up there, Ramaswamy said. Forget whether he's going to finish eight years. He wasn't even really the one who started the eight years. He's a front man for the managerial class. They have put him up as a puppet that they can control. Okay. So Weekend at Bernie Presidential Edition has been going on and has been going on for a while. All right. It is different from them saying, look, in the first term, Biden's just barely holding on. Got to worry about the second term. He might lose it totally. It's a different argument. But it's a better argument if you don't mind what Biden's been doing. Of course, the Republicans have to be maximally extreme. And so they make a pretty bad argument when you think about it. So I say, let them make that he's already a zombie argument and counter. Well, the entire apparatus, whatever that is, seems to be delivering pretty well. 
And what's interesting, by the way, is that the puppet masters really do seem more or less aligned with Biden's natural tendency to make deals. Josh Barrow and Matt Iglesias made an excellent point of this the other day. Obama used to want to try to tell the Republicans why they were wrong. Biden just wants to know what the Republican position is, and then he uses that to give them a little something of what they want. This way, the Democrats and America get more of what they want. That is exactly how the debt ceiling negotiation worked. If in fact you're a Republican who most fears the left of the Democratic Party, look who voted against the debt ceiling. There's Senators Sanders, Warren, Fetterman. They're the ones the zombie Biden is pissing off. Why couldn't it be that whoever's programming cyborg Biden, why couldn't it be that it's not the leftists, it's actually Anita Dunn or Mike Donilon or Gene Sperling, maybe Ron Klain still operating a few of the switches there. That group is the collective Andrew McCarthy and Jonathan Silverman to Biden's Bernie. I personally like what Team Puppet is pulling off. I mean, maybe when you were young, you thought Kermit the Frog was really a frog, and then you grew up and learned it was Jim Henson. Great, so you didn't love Kermit, you loved Jim Henson. So what? You were still in love. It turns out you weren't actually scared by the dinosaurs, real dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. It was just a team of modern magicians orchestrated by Spielberg, executed by Industrial Lights and Magic, and so what? We signed up for the Jurassic Park sequels again and again and again. They made billions and entertained us all. The worry that Biden right now isn't fully functioning or firing on all cylinders is reassuring, if anything else. We have proof of concept that whatever's going on there delivers, delivers for Democrats and not only or not even mostly the socialist ones. In fact, those signature achievements, infrastructure, 19 Republican senators voted for it. Roy Blunt, Susan Collins, Lindsey Graham, Chuck Grassley, Lisa Murkowski, Mitch McConnell. I shall not name them all. But the zombie Biden team delivered all the Dems and 40% of the Republicans. That is a winning zombie formula. The debt ceiling had even more Republicans signing on. So they think, the people who allege zombieism, that they are calling out a horror movie or maybe a marionette performance. In fact, it's really a glorious collaboration. It's a piece of magic. It's like a breathtaking Pixar film that depends on the willing, nay, gleeful suspension of disbelief. We pay $300 to see The Lion King on Broadway. After 10 minutes, you stop seeing the puppeteers and you settle in for transporting theater. They think they're hitting him with a disqualifying accusation. They're really spelling out a pretty decent rationale for using the past as prologue and arguing for four more years. And that's it for the Saturday show. Corey War is the producer of The Gist and Joel Patterson's the senior producer. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you Monday.